0: If you'll turn with me now with your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, the Gospel of Matthew. It's our joy to be in the Word of God this evening and to take time in the middle of our week to meet with the Lord as a church and to ask the Lord to meet with us and to strengthen us and to feed us His Word. I want to invite you to pray for Pastor as he's Uh, preaching in North Alabama uh, this evening, and uh, he has a special opportunity to be involved in in ordaining uh, a former member of our church, Brad McKinney, and he's becoming a deacon at a church up in North Alabama, and pastor gets to play a special role in that service, and so we're going to ask the Lord for his blessing uh, upon that and also ask for safety as well. Before we jump into our message tonight, let's ask the Lord for his blessing one more time. Father, we love you and just thank you for today, the gift of life that you've given to each one of us, And, Father, too many times uh, we take it for granted. Uh, We take it for granted, Lord, the tender mercies, your daily blessings, uh, your daily provisions. And we take them, we consume them, and then we move on to the next thing as if they're normal. And, Father, we just, as your people, want to come before you and repent uh, of our feelings of um, just ingratitude, ultimately, and unthankfulness, Lord, for the feelings of being entitled Lord, you've been so good to us. You tell us in your word that every single day, every morning, your mercies are new. It's a, it's a clean slate. Lord, you do not hold our past sins against us. And we praise you, Lord, for your mercy and your goodness. Father, thank you for not letting us forget our past sins. Lord, thank you for not letting, allowing us to have short memories and that we would think we could live without you. That we would not need your grace. Father, we think of who we once were. We think of the sins that we have struggled with in the past. And we rejoice in your marvelous, sufficient grace. And how you are working in us, sharpening us, and molding us into the image of your son. Lord, we do ask for your blessing upon our lesson tonight. And we pray, Lord, that you would meet with us. I also pray for Pastor Lord as he is preaching tonight. And we just ask for your hand of blessing upon his sermon, upon the service there. We pray, Lord, that you would bring him and Miss Kathy safely back to us. And we ask all of these things in your precious name. Amen. Matthew chapter 8, and we will begin reading in verse 5, and we will go through verse 13. And this is the account of the centurion, and the centurion being very, very concerned with his servant. Jesus has been working a marvelous ministry. This message is primarily to the Jews. He's been walking around, teaching and preaching, and now he commences his public ministry of healing, of healing of all types of diseases and physical problems, in the midst of this, he comes and he, as he enters into Capernaum, verse 5, the Bible says there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. There's urgency in this text. And he says, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou should even come under my roof. But if you just speak the word only, my servant shall be healed. For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this man, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. And he said to them that followed, verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in all of Israel. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and from the west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into the outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. We have a marvelous account of God's grace here in the text. We have a situation where the Bible calls... One one title that we could give to this sermon tonight is this. The man to whom Jesus marveled. Think about it. Making Jesus Christ, the Son of God, marvel. Well, what do we mean by that? This is a display of great faith. Think about it. Faith is casting ourselves wholly upon the Lord our God fully... For salvation. We're going to try to dig into this just beyond the surface level a little bit. Uh, Some people say, you know, when you rake on the surface, all you really get is leaves. If we dig a little harder, sometimes you might find diamonds. And we pray that the Lord will help us to find some diamonds, maybe a little gold this evening. We need His Spirit's help in all that takes place. Just by way of introducing this, we see how Jesus begins to display His power. Namely, power over disease as we walk through this text of Matthew. To try try to give a little bit of context, in chapter 4, he has stopped his ministry publicly. And he launches into, as our pastor has taught for many weeks through the Sermon on the Mount. And he launches into this lesson. And we have to imagine with our mind's eye, this is the greatest sermon that's ever preached. We have to imagine in our mind's eye that the centurion was part of that crowd. The Bible doesn't tell us if that is true. The Bible does not tell us where he was or that he was present, but we have to wonder because he bursts onto the scene already showing his great faith. In chapter 4, we will uh, at the end of chapter 4, verse 24, the Bible says, His fame went throughout all of Syria, and they brought unto him all the sick people that were taken with uh, diversity of diseases, diverse uh, diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were of the lunatic and those that had a great palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, and from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. Why, we ask. Jesus begins to show his sovereign power over the infirmity of people. If you were to ask, take a poll today and ask people what their fears are, there would be many different things on that list. We live in a Genesis 3 world. We live in a world that was not created as God originally intended for it to be. We live in a world that is, is full of destruction. A world that is full of disease and infirmity. And even in our saved state, we still fear things that can happen to us physically. This is a world that Jesus lived in. This is a world that Jesus walked in. This is a world that Jesus ministered in. And so Matthew begins to point in Jesus' ministry here that it moves as one from teaching and preaching and healing, it moves back and forth to ultimately one of healing. And then the Lord is going to go back to a strictly teaching ministry before he goes to the cross. We could ask the question, why does God put such a focus here on healing human infirmities? Why is he doing this? What is the purpose And we could suggest that namely the purpose is to point to His deity. It's to point to this is the Son of God. And more specifically, His attribute of His power. His sovereign power. Jesus' miraculous power was that supreme proof of His divinity. It was not enough for Him at this time in His his God-given ministry by the Father to simply teach, but he was gifted with the abilities to go forth and to heal in the name of God. Jesus himself did not even bring glory to himself per se, but his number one concern was to continually point men to the Father. As he begins to do this, word spreads. You've got to imagine a first century world where medicine and, and medical care is not as even developed in ours today. We hear a lot about the, you know, the demise of health care today or the problems that we think we see on the horizon. But let me tell you, we are blessed even with the problems that we have today. One could imagine in their mind's eye of going to third world countries and seeing where there is no modern medicine to understand maybe to have to create in your mind a scenario where there's not a hospital four blocks from here as we have and to understand the gravity of this type of situation. Jesus begins to heal blind people. He begins to heal people who cannot walk. He begins to heal people of their diseases and word spreads. People begin to bring their friends. They begin to bring their family. There, where there was no hope, there now is hope from one who claims to be the Son of God. But you know what? That's not even their primary concern. All they care about is getting healed. Despite this marvelous evidence that Jesus is now bringing to all men, His main audience, the Jews, the chosen people, continue in their resistance to the Son of God. They do not want to accept Him as the Messiah. They have no desire to turn from their selfish pride and their self-reliance upon their marvelous lineage of Abraham and to rest in this Son of God, to rest into this man who calls himself Jesus and to submit to Him as Lord Jesus demands that all who wish to have fellowship with Him must come by faith, and not by sight. They had a problem. Their problem was their own righteousness. They had read the Word. They had memorized the Word. They had got the pen for faithful attendance every Sunday. There was just one problem. They were blinded by their own self-righteousness. You know, we often look at Judas and think, how could someone come to salvation, even to kiss the door of salvation and yet still go to hell? But we cannot forget this audience who heard and heard and heard and saw and saw. Sometimes we isolate Judas and think of him as just one person who was filled with the light of the truth. But there was many, many people who saw it. And yet in their hearts, they would blaspheme the Son of God. They would say, they would ascribe the works that he did as unto Satan. We see here in the text the faith that is required. Verses 5 through 7. The Bible again says, And when Jesus entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. This is amazing. A, a centurion beseeching a humble Jew? Why would he do this? Notice what he says. He says, Lord. That was their problem. The audience did not want to call him Lord. They just recognized him as the son of a carpenter. But he says, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy and he is tormented. Well, who cares? Who cares? This is a centurion. This man's been on the battlefield. He no doubt has seen worse things than this audience or this crowd that day would ever even imagine. And somehow... Against all norms, he comes before Jesus and he is completely consumed with the, with the emotions of his servant. He says he is grievously tormented. And then we see Jesus' unusual response. He says, well, I will come and I will heal him. What are we to make of this? It's amazing. When we think about those who lived in this society... When we think about those who did not have access to health care, one thing that comes to my mind is Haiti. I've been to a couple of third world countries. Haiti's one of them. It's not unusual to see someone in Haiti walking down the street maimed, blind, scarred, the effects of polio. um, in In the recent trip that I had the opportunity to go on, there was a man that was in attendance every night, and he had to walk on his hands. He, he was probably about 60 years of age. He had contracted polio as a child. most joyful person I've ever met. I'm not just saying that. Nothing but a smile every single time. I'm thinking in my mind as I would prepare to preach on those evenings with Brother Don Graham. This man sits on the front row. How does he have such joy? Evidently marketing doesn't work. Because he's not believed the lies of the Americas Whereas we have to have this watch to have happiness. We have to have the latest cologne to experience real joy. This man has none of those things. And yet he exudes joy. I tell you no lie when I say he walked on his hands. His legs were shriveled up underneath him. And if and I, I could go on and on and that's not my point. But the church where we were was up a mountain. There was, we had to, The only way we could get there was to ride in the back of a four-wheel drive. This man had no way of really getting up and down the mountain, so he just lived next to the church. He lived up there all the time. People would bring him food. People would care for him. It was a beautiful thing to see this one little boy. It's almost like he had adopted this man as his mission. And each night, he would push his wheelchair uh, as far as the wheelchair would come. The rocks would keep him from coming any further to a certain point. So after that, he would have to walk on his hands. But when he could get to the wheelchair, this one little boy would, would push him. And, and we think in our mind's eye how these people, the joy that, that they would experience, and you have to kind of get out of our modern society to understand how the news would spread and how they would be consumed with getting to Jesus. But with the Jews, this was their only concern, was to see the popcorn and the lights. But they did not want to bow to Him as Lord. Jesus' healing ministry brought widespread attention to the people And the masses. But there was something different when he was approached by this Roman soldier. We see from the text the urgency. This is a Roman soldier. This is a centurion. He is a man of position. He is an officer in the Roman army. He is a man who would uh, ordinarily probably have been hated by all of these Jews present. He's a Gentile. They are under Roman occupation. He would have been the symbol of the despised Roman subjugation. And he comes into their midst, and he says, Lord, Lord. And even his profession of Lord is a shame to these Jews, because of all the light that they have, of all the years and their time in the scriptures, they cannot see through the eye of faith that this is the Son of God. Verse six, the centurion expresses his concern over his servant. We notice the compassion of Jesus here when Jesus in turn says, well, I will come and I will heal him. This is striking to those in the audience that day because Jesus is saying he will go into the home of a Gentile. We must note here that if he does this, he himself in the eyes of these Jews will be unclean. This is the first time in the text that Jesus offers to actually go to someone who is sick. Now, he will at later points, but this is the first time. You and I can read this and we can reflect in our own life and say, Lord, thank you for stooping to come to me. Thank you for stooping to come to a Gentile like me. You and I are Gentiles tonight. And God died on the cross for us. Praise the Lord. He comes to us when we cannot go to him. Up until this point, he is never recorded as going into a Gentile home and yet we see Christ's compassion we see his love and care I don't know about you but I probably would have said you know I I really don't have time for that right now I want to but I do have duties I do have obligations and I'll tell you what let me get back with you I've even created a little auto response in my email that says I only check my email twice a day in the effort to be more productive but I promise I'll get back to you as soon as possible I don't know about you maybe you've done the same thing Things of the urgent that just come into our life, and they can take over. And it can be really difficult to try to ascertain and discern what is most important. But I'm glad that Jesus did not say, you know what, let me get back with you. Come back tonight, and we'll talk to you then. And if it's really real, I'll talk to you. No, we see his immediate compassion. We see his approach that he's willing to go to the home of the centurion, to see and to inquire about this servant. Jesus' action shows us some things about his Father, a number of things about God, but we'll look at two. Jesus is lovingly sympathetic to those with physical needs. It's not always about the spiritual. That was his number one concern. But we must take note. We cannot only be consumed with the spiritual. That is our number one priority. It does no good to give people bread and send them on their way to hell. None. But we see here in this text that he is concerned. There is a sympathy to the physical needs of those. Can I tell you something? God created us as we are. And regardless of what you go through in this life, regardless of what you suffer through, or what God has sovereignly ordained for you to experience, he cares. We do not serve a God that is removed from our pain or is removed from our experiences. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. And King Jesus sits on his throne. He reigns. And if he allows something to happen to us, it is from his wise and kind hand. We see here in the life of Jesus, he is lovingly sympathetic to this particular need. We see also that Jesus ministered to the needs of someone who especially, in the eyes of this Jewish audience, was in the lowest plane of existence, of human existence. This story, in this particular small way, very similarly parallels uh, the the account of the, the Good Samaritan. When we think about the priest and the Levite, who walked by the man who was slain in the streets, is about to die, and the most despised person in that society is the one who shows grace and compassion where we would least expect it. We see this loving, earthly ministry of Christ. And can I tell you, I'm grateful to be a part of a church who mirrors this. We have much to learn. We have not perfected. We've done great in the past. We can continue to do better as we seek the Lord's guiding and His leading in our ministry and in our lives. When I think about our own ministry, to those who have special needs, to those who have many problems... We praise the Lord for that opportunity. We praise the Lord for the opportunity to show compassion, to be His hands and to be His feet, and to show a particular love for those who no one else really cares for, whose society seems to look down upon as people to be, get, just to get rid of them. I have real problems with that. We should. You and I should be on our face in agony and prayer. Over the fact that our nation thinks it's okay to abort millions of babies. Partially, fully, every day. That's not okay. We see Jesus' concern for the human need here. Secondly, we see faith demonstrated. Verses 8 and 9. The centurion answered and he said, Lord, I'm not even worthy that you should come under my roof. But Lord, you just speak the word only. Notice how he says it twice in the text. You just speak the word, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes. And to another man, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. know what he's saying? He's saying, Lord, I'm not worthy. When you read the text on a cursory level, and just on the surface level, it seems like he's bragging. But he's not. He's showing his faith. He's showing his full realization that Jesus is who he says he is. And what he's saying is, God, let me just tell you, I believe. You you don't even have to come. Lord, let me just explain. In the army, you know, we've got a, a tiered system here. And, you know, I tell this guy, go, and he goes. And when he goes on the mission that I send him on, it's in the name of the centurion. And I don't have to be present for it to get done. All he has to say is, the boss says, this is what we're to do. And the man sees the ID or hears the order or the directive. And whether he's there or not, it will get done. And the Roman soldier is saying, in this same way, Lord, just speak. You don't have to be present. I believe in the power of God and it will be done. He recognizes his unworthiness just as John the Baptist recognized his unworthiness to to baptize the Son of God. Do you see your need? What is striking here in this text is that he feels unworthy to even have Jesus into his home. But more importantly, he sees his need. You know what the problem with so many people today is that they've never seen their need. When you start talking about repentance and faith, they've got problems with that. They've only heard their whole life how they are just the best thing ever. How they, how the, they shoot for the stars. And how they're, they're number one. And so when they grow up in this self-esteem society, they don't really feel like they have anything to repent of. And that soul of their heart is hardened. It's hardened for many reasons. It's hardened for many ways and many directives. And so when the seed of the word of God is just thrown indiscriminately, not that it's a bad thing to give the gospel, but when it's thrown onto that hard soul, it doesn't have an impact. We, as Christians, as gospel believing people, must take the scriptures and the law of God and preach it and proclaim it and tell people of their sin and therefore show them of their need for a Savior. If a man doesn't realize he has cancer, he will not take the healing medicine or the healing treatment, he will think you're insane. Here in this text, we see a man who realizes his need. And we can only surmise when that happened. We know the Spirit of God played a role. We don't know if it happened during the Sermon on the Mount or before the Sermon on the Mount or during one of the public preaching times of Jesus' ministry. But he comes and he recognizes his need. And more importantly, he recognizes that all the might in the world of a Roman army cannot save his servant. His credentials mean nothing. It doesn't matter what his job is. It doesn't matter what he makes. He cannot change the toothache of his his own servant. And he recognizes there is only one person who can do it. And he's not just a man who can heal. But he is the son of God. He submits himself to the lordship of Christ. We see thirdly, this centurion's faith is commended. It's commended. This is the man to whom Jesus marveled. When Jesus heard it, he said to them that followed, it's almost like he turns. Hey, listen, guys, this is what I'm talking about. Listen, if you're here today, wake up. This is exactly what I'm talking about. And he says, Verily, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in all of Israel. I don't know if I can explain to you why Jesus said that in that same way. I have to imagine, and you have to imagine as we read the Scriptures, there were people who came to faith. But Jesus makes a point here to say, such great faith. You know, we understand the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to believe God. As His people here tonight, we believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek His face. We desire to do that. We understand that faith doesn't just save but it also sustains us in our walk with Christ. We must continue to press on. We are saved once and ultimately, but in our, in our sanctification and in our growth, it is simple reliance and faith upon the Lord that glorifies Him and pleases Him. But we see here in the text that Jesus marveled at this man's faith. Maybe it was because of who He was and the way that He was unashamed with all of His armor and with all of His Roman stuff on. To come into the presence of these Jews and to humble himself in humility and say, I need what you have. You guys are under us, but I need your faith. I recognize that our ability to blast mountains and build bridges cannot help me in this situation. And we see his faith commended. We see here how Jesus touches on the reality of hell. Why do we believe in hell? It's unpopular today. Hell is out of vogue in a sense, you're laughed at if you believe ultimately in the reality of hell. If you engage with most Christians, are almost ashamed of the reality of hell. And I'll tell you why I believe in hell. It's not because I delight in it. It's not because I rejoice in it. But I believe in hell primarily because Jesus did. And that we learn most of what we know about hell from His teaching ministry. If you feel like you need to learn more about the reality of eternal punishment and suffering, I want to encourage you, Get back into the Gospels. Read what Jesus taught. He, he, he was a hellfire and brimstone preacher. And whether or not our world likes that, that's who he was. He, he gives us the most insights on the reality of the eternal punishments of hell. And he tells us in this text that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for all of those who reject the gospel, who reject the light of God, who reject the general revelation of God in the world today, who look around and they see there must be a creator because it is stamped in man's conscience. He will judge man over his sin. We see lastly how this man's faith is affirmed. Verse 13. Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. His servant was healed in that selfsame hour. I want you to imagine in your mind's eye with me. I can't help but think the text where the disciples say, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. I don't know about you, but I find myself there regularly. Lord, I believe. I've I've got no reason not to believe. I can look back and I can see all that your hand has provided. I can look back, Lord, and see how you've led and guided me and, and provided so many things. I can look back and point to situations where I should be dead, where I should have died. But Lord, you, you didn't see fit to do so. and you, you saw fit to show me grace and provision. Lord, I believe, but now as I look this way, I don't, I don't quite feel so confident. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of unknown. We don't know what a day will bring forth. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I can imagine as this man's on his way home and he wonders, is it true? Is it real? Have you ever experienced in your journey your doubt of salvation? And you wondered, Lord, I casted it all upon you. I repented truly. I've embraced Christ. I've experienced power broken in, of, of sin in my life. But yet, I struggle with things. And it makes me wonder, Lord, am I truly saved? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I've I've felt your call in my life for this particular reason. And no doubt this family is going through some of that. Lord, I've felt your call and and I'm excited about it. And Lord, we're launching out in faith. But yet there's doubt that begins to come in. And you begin to wonder, Lord, is it real? Is it true? I want you to imagine in your mind's eyes, he's coming into the driveway and his people run out to him. They're looking for him. Because they are excited that this servant has essentially been healed of all of his infirmities. And you can imagine the joy that he experiences because of his simple faith in Christ. The joy of this text is this, and we should walk away with this joy. It's that through this example and through this little glimpse in the life and teaching ministry of Jesus, it's what gives us hope as Gentiles. And it's that Through simple faith. A faith that believes. Not just a faith that recognizes that Jesus is the Son of God, but yet is over here. Just recognizing it. It's not enough to look at the lifesaver and say, I believe it'll save me. But yet, still be drowning in the water. We must cast ourselves wholly upon it. We must cast ourselves wholly upon Christ. Saying, Lord, upon your life, upon your death, upon your resurrection, do we stake our eternity and we do it gladly you must have faith to enter into the kingdom of heaven after this text we see over and over again more and more gentiles beginning to come to faith in christ ultimately god will assign paul to be the minister to the gentile church ultimately we rejoice in that god would show such mercy and grace to people such as us can I remind you as we conclude this evening that we have nothing to boast in? We have nothing to point to. We have nothing with, by which we can say, it was mine. This is, this is all me. If there is anything that you and I can rejoice in, it is God's marvelous mercy and his grace. If you're listening to me this evening, I want to encourage you to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Believe that Christ has all authority over death, hell, In the grave, and that he demonstrated that in the resurrection and his ascension upon high. Lastly, let's give great praise to the Lord that he shows compassion and that in his sovereign hand and his sovereign goodness, he chooses to heal. You know, you and I may experience things in this life. We're not guaranteed that we will be healed, but can I give you some encouragement as we close? This is not all that there is, there's going to be a new heaven. And a new earth. And we're going to have new bodies. And we're going to have new callings. And it's not just going to be playing the harp for all eternity. We're going to work. And we're going to labor in the glory and joy of the Lord. This is, as some people say, I want to give you, I almost hit the refresh button and get a fresh vision of what God's called us to in a future glory. But this is just the, this is just the rerun. This is just the rehearsal. That's the word I'm looking for. Rehearsal. This is just a practice run. And the decisions we make in this life are more important than the days we ultimately live. Your decisions matter. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you turned from your sin and rested upon Him and Him alone? What we see in this text is the man who made God marvel and it was over his simple faith. And we understand that even that simple faith was a gift of God. Let's pray. Father, we love You and we thank You for Your marvelous, precious Word. Father, we're grateful that This account of your life and the earthly ministry of Christ applies to every single person in this room and every single person listening on the radio or watching by way of TV or the internet. Lord, a simple child can hear this message and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. The oldest person in this room, Lord, can believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Father, we appeal to the Spirit of God to do the work that only the Spirit can do. We ask, Lord, that you would now bless your word, that you would continue to build our church, to strengthen our church, that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly. We must do God's work God's way. And we ask for God's blessing in your time. Lord, we pray that you would meet with us and bless us here tonight. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen.